Well, welcome everybody at all of our campuses and to those of you joining us online. We uh, truly are honored that you're here today. Uh, you're joining us for week two in the series we called Hope and Anxiety. And you know, that title really is the goal for this entire series. See, we believe that there is hope to be found in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of worry, in the midst of anxious feelings. And last week, if you were with us, you know, Ed came and he led the groundwork for what we're going to be doing. And today, I'm just going to be building on that. We're going to talk a little bit further about that. So if you missed last week's message, my advice is you really need to go online to our website, go to our sermons page, and check that out. You can even subscribe to our podcast and get it delivered right to your phone every week, and you'll never miss a message. But today, I'm going to build on what we learned last week. Now, let me start with this. As you can see, I've got a bat in my hand. It's not a weapon. I want to illustrate uh, this idea with one of my favorite things, and that's baseball. I, I've been playing baseball, or I was playing baseball from the time that I could hold a bat until well, right up on through college I played ball. And uh, then I even dabbled a little bit in coaching some little league and things like that. Uh, and so that, that sort of ended when I had daughters who wound up being swimmers and runners. And now pretty much every weekend I'm at a swim meet or track, or cross-country meet, and uh, not complaining about that. I actually love that, but I'm not so much into baseball as much as I used to, but I love watching it, and I still, I, the game makes sense to me. I totally understand. I love the game of baseball, and one thing that I found, especially when coaching little kids, is that there's, uh, there are some habits that most kids wind up developing when they first start to learn how to swing a bat and to hit a ball. Now, of course, you probably already know this. There is a correct way to hit a baseball. And I want to show you an example of what that looks like. I want to show you a clip of one of the best players in baseball right now, one of my favorites, Freddie Freeman. So let's take a look at his swing. This is what you'll see. Notice, as he slows it down on this next clip, everything moves toward the ball. See how his, his, his step goes towards the ball, his hips start moving toward the ball, his eyes are on the ball, his hands go toward the ball, and then back goes toward the ball. Everything is moving towards the ball. Now, at some point, when every kid learns to develop their swing, they wind up with, well, some bad habits. And, and I'll show you what I mean. Most kids, when they start to learn how to hit a ball, everything's supposed to go towards the ball. Everything towards the ball. But the habit that most, uh, most of us wind up with is everything goes away from the ball. Like, you'll see kids start to step out of the batter's box, or their head starts to go back. And the moment that happens, you know... You can't touch the ball because you can't see it, your body weight's out this way, and everything's coming away from the ball, and it's just hard to hit a ball that way. Now, there's a reason why that happens for almost every kid. It's because there's this thing that's hardwired into your brain that tells you when a ball is coming towards you, you go the other way. I mean, it's just natural. It's kind of like an instinct because when a ball is thrown at you, your natural tendency is to get, move away from the ball, not to go towards the ball and to hit the ball. So most kids just wind up pulling away, and they get these really bad habits. Now, the only way that you can stop those bad habits from happening and to correct those is you've got to, well, you've got to create some new habits in your brain. You've got to, you've got to force your brain into a different pathway than it's normally used to of running away from the ball, and you've got to, you've got to work on that. So most, most of the time you put a kid in a, in a batting cage or, or put the ball on a tee, and over and over and over again, you, you force yourself to go towards the ball, step into the ball, put your hands towards the ball, put your eyes on the ball. And when you do that, you create this new groove or this new pathway in your brain, and you train yourself to hit a ball. 
Now, what I just described to you is called practice, right? Now, there's this old phrase, and you've all heard it. You've heard it a million times. People have said it to you before. They'll say, practice makes what? Perfect. Practice makes perfect. That's not true. (laughs) They lied to you. Practice does not make perfect. You know what practice makes? Practice makes permanent. See, here's the thing. If, If I practice incorrectly, if I constantly am practicing and I'm pulling my head out and I'm pulling away from the ball and I practice that way over and over and over again, my practice doesn't make me perfect at hitting the ball. Now, it makes permanent my bad habits, but it doesn't make me hit the ball better. I have to practice correctly. I have to do those habits over and over again that are not natural to me so that I can eventually overcome the wiring in my brain, create new wiring, and create a new habit. It's, it's what we call muscle memory. It's where you can take something that right now feels unnatural to you and make it feel like second nature. Something that feels weird to you, you can actually begin to do without even thinking about it. Something that just becomes natural, which is stepping in and hitting the ball. But in order to do that, you have to practice correctly over and over and over again. Now, we're not here to talk about baseball, so I'm going to put that down. We're here to talk about anxiety, right? So what does this have to do with anxiety? Well, my point is this. If you're ever going to turn anxiety into peace, you're going to have to practice it. See, because most of the thoughts that you and I live with every single day, thoughts of worry and anxiety, they become hardwired into our brain. They start to feel natural. You can think of it this way. It's kind of like you get stuck in a groove or in a rut, and it's hard to get out of it because it feels so comfortable and so natural to you. You start to say things to yourself like, well, everybody feels this way. This is normal. No, who, who wouldn't think the way that I think? And you get to a point where it's hard for you to believe that you can think any differently, and you almost feel like there's no hope. But just like learning how to swing a bat correctly, you can change something that feels unnatural to you now into something that feels normal to you in, 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 a, in a later time. But that's going to take some work. You're going to need some new practices, some new habits. You're going to have to rewire your way of thinking to create those habits over time, habits that eventually will feel normal. In other words, you have to essentially retrain your brain. Because right now, most of us, worry and, and anxiety just kind of comes natural. We, we entertain these negative, anxious thoughts about our future all the time, and we have ho- sort of hardwired anxiety into our minds. So it becomes this normal operating system. It feels natural. It feels familiar. We can't see any other way of thinking that really makes sense to us. And see, like we learned last week, our thoughts can affect us in lots of different ways. Our thoughts can affect us emotionally and, and chemically and even physically. What we think has, a, has an effect on our bodies because it's all connected. See, the thoughts that you have and the way you handle your thought life actually can affect your physical health. Your thoughts can cause stress, which then changes your blood pressure. It affects your digestive system. It changes your heart rate. It can change the chemical makeup inside of your body. It's all connected. And that's why we said last week, we're going to have to take a holistic approach to anxiety. And we talked about this last week. Again, I encourage you to go back and look at that. But we, we're, we said in this series, we're going to deal with anxiety on a holistic kind of way. We're going to deal with it at the spiritual level, at the mental level, and on the physical level. Now, maybe you're not convinced that all of what I just said is true because, hey, what do I know? I'm not a scientist. 
But let me read to you what a scientist actually says. This is uh, Caroline Leaf. She's a cognitive neuroscientist, and, and here's what she says. She says, what you're thinking every moment of every day becomes a physical reality in your brain and body. These thoughts collectively form your attitude, which is your state of mind. It's your attitude and not your DNA that determines much of the quality of your life. It's a profound and eye-opening thought to realize something seemingly immaterial, like a belief, can take on a physical existence as a positive or a negative change in ourselves. Now, that's just a fancy way of saying what I just said. <laughs> what we think about in our minds, what we dwell on, what we entertain in our minds, affects our bodies, our overall health. And so when negative or depressive or anxious thoughts come into our mind and we entertain those for too much, they literally do damage to our brains, which in turn does damage to our bodies. Now, everything that I just explained to you, it's relatively new on the scientific front. I mean, these are discoveries that we've just been making over the past several years. It's, in fact, this is stuff that I didn't even know existed until earlier this year is when I first started learning it. I learned it from a counselor who's a friend of mine. In fact, let me show you something that really blew my mind when I first saw it. I want to bring some images up on the screen for you to see. But what you see on the screen right now is the image of a normal brain. It's a 3D scan of a healthy brain. And you can see the, it's whole, the colors are bright, they're vibrant. That represents a brain that has brain activity that's, that's normal, that's, that's fully firing and everything is connected and everything's working well. Now let me show you some more brain scans on the other side of the screen. You can see in these pictures, the color is, is gone, it's different, which means the brain activity is actually slowing down. Uh, the signals aren't firing very well. You can even see some areas where it looks like there are even gaps where the brain is actually missing. This is just representing that the brain activity in those areas has basically stopped. Now let me reveal to you who these brains belong to. See that first one there in the top left? That's your brain on heroin. That's what it looks like. The, the one in the top right, that's your brain on meth. Notice where there are just parts of the brain that just absolutely look missing. Remember those commercials? I mean, at least when I was a kid, they had these commercials. That, here's your brain and here's your brain on drugs. Well, this is actually your brain on drugs. Now, this third one was very interesting to me. This is your brain on pornography. Looks almost the same, doesn't it? Which is interesting to me because they always told us that pornography is just innocent fun. Well, it doesn't look like your brain's having fun to me in that picture. But I'll show you what's the most shocking to me, and it's this last one. This is your brain when it's entertaining depressive, anxious thoughts. No drugs whatsoever. Now, I want you to think about that for just a second. That's a scientific reality. When your brain constantly is dwelling on negative, anxious, depressive thinking, it is affecting your brain in almost the same way as if you were taking hard drugs. Mentally, emotionally, and yes, even physically. What you think about, what I think about, holds way more consequences for us than most of us probably can even imagine. Which is why I think the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians in your Bible was inspired by God to write these words. And these are words that we read last week. Remember what we said Paul says this way, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. 
whatever you've learned, received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put that into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul's saying, look, you and I have to think some better thoughts. But in order to think better thoughts, we got to get ourselves out of these patterns that we found ourselves in. It's going to take practice. Notice he said, put these things into practice. Because it's the practice that's going to lead us away from anxiety and towards peace, away from worry and towards wholeness, the peace that comes from God. It's a peace that the Bible says transcends understanding. In other words, it works, but it may not even make sense to you, but it's just peace. So today what I want to do is I want to teach you some new habits, some new steps you can take. And if you were with us last week, you know that a lot of these things that we're learning, we took from a book. It's called Finding Quiet by Dr. J.P. Moreland. And if you're interested in that book, you'll find the link on the sermon notes, and you can check that out. But here's uh, the, the practice that I want to teach you. Uh, whenever, you uh, whenever you have an anxious thought, whenever you have a, something to worry about that, that your mind brings into your brain, your brain is, has basically been trained on how to handle that anxious or worried or negative thought. And over time, you have sort of, well, just by repetition and just by n- your natural feelings, you've trained your brain what to do with that thought. See, your brain is deciding what it's going to do with that. And it's almost like, again, like muscle memory. When you learn a swing and it just becomes natural to you, that way of thinking feels natural to you. Now, what do most of us do? Well, I'll tell you what most of us do because this is what I've done. Most of us take a negative or an anxious thought and we just go with it. I sort of call it circling the toilet bowl because you, you, you take this anxious negative thought and you just ride it all the way down to where it logically, you think, concludes, and it's like circling a toilet bowl, and then you wind up, well, where toilet bowls wind up. I don't think I need to say anything else about that. But that's what most of us do when an anxious or a depressive kind of thought or a negative thought comes into our mind. Now, let me give you a couple of examples so that you'll know what I'm talking about. You have this thought. You say to yourself, I'm feeling lonely right now. And then you take that thought and you just sort of, stew on it a little bit, and you start thinking these kinds of thoughts. You think, well, why, doesn't, why, am I, why do I feel lonely right now? Well, it's because nobody wants to be with me. Why does nobody want to be with me? Because I'm not likable. In fact, I'm not even lovable. Why does anybody ever want to be around me? I'm no fun to be around. I'm not the kind of person that people like to hang out with, so that's why I'm alone, which means I'm probably going to be alone this weekend, which means I'll probably be alone next month and the month after that, and I'm going to wind up being alone and all by myself for the rest of my life. You see where that one thought, I'm lonely, wound up when you circled the toilet bowl? How about this one? This is for students. You ever had this thought? I don't feel good about this test that I just took. And then you follow that thought, and you just write it down, and you think, well, why did I not, I not feel good about that? Well, because I probably failed it. I probably failed because I'm not good at school. I've never been good at school. I'm not very smart. I'm not a very good studier. In fact, I'm just lazy when it comes to studying. I never do enough, right? And so what's going to happen is I'm going to fail this class. And when I fail this class, I'm not going to get the grades that I need to get into the school that I want to get into, which means I'm not going to get the job I want to be in, and I'm going to be miserable for the rest of my adult life, and I'll probably be broke. I don't feel good about this test. And that's where you wound up. How about this one? I feel this pain in my chest, just one pain in my chest. Oh, no, I'm probably sick. There's probably something wrong with me. 
well, I don't understand why not, because I'm a slob. I don't take care of myself. I'm an unhealthy person. I just don't do the things that I'm supposed to do. I should probably go to the doctor, but I'm not going to go to the doctor because I don't want to hear what he has to say. I'm afraid of what they might tell me, so I'm not going to go, which means I'll probably wind up dying of heart disease, or maybe I'll even get cancer, and I'll die young. See, it's just this circling of the drain, following these thoughts. You just take any negative thought that you have in your life and just plug it into that scenario, and just, you just follow it down. But we do this all the time, don't we? <laughs> I know I have. And here's what I'm saying. There's a better way. We can begin to train our minds to adopt new habits. And I want to give you a four-step practice, a practice that you can begin to do that will help you with this. Are you ready? Step one, you need to capture those anxious thoughts. And I know this sounds silly, and some of you are going to laugh at this, but here's what I mean by that. You need to take a thought. Whenever you have an anxious or a negative thought, you need to visualize that that thought is an actual physical object, and you need to visualize and imagine yourself grabbing hold of it with both hands and holding it out in front of you. I know that sounds weird, but you can do this. Think of that thought as a physical object. Reach out and grab it. Now, you think, well, that's silly, but it's biblical. 2 Corinthians 10 says we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. Because, see, you are not powerless to your thoughts. The thought was created by me in my brain. I created the thought. So I get to decide what happens to the thought once I create it, right? I can, I can take control of that thought. I can tell it where to go. I can tell it what to do. I can decide what it is if I'm aware and if I have the presence of mind to do so. Because I want you to think about it this way. You know what an anxious thought is, right? An anxious thought is just simply a speculation about your future. It's basically you trying to predict the future. I mean, you think of something that you're worried about. All you're doing is predicting the future. And it's interesting because most of us don't do a very good job of predicting the future. Because basically when you predict the future, what you're trying to do is you're trying to be God. But you're not, and I'm not. In fact, studies tell us that 85% of the things that we worry about, 85% of the stuff you're worried about right now never happens. 85%. So even if you were God, you just need to admit you're not doing a very good job because you're only predicting it at a 15% rate. I mean, we're just no good at this. So what we do is we take that anxious thought and we just visualize ourselves grabbing it and we hold it out in front of us. What do I do then? Well, that leads us to step two. Step two is I name it, and I frame it. I just ask myself this question. What is this thought that I'm holding right now? I've stopped it. I'm not running down the toilet bowl with it. I'm just holding it. And what I'm doing is I'm taking power and perspective over my thoughts. I put my thoughts into context. And there are a lot of categories that your anxious and worried thoughts and your negative thoughts wind up in. Uh, let me give you a couple of examples. And if, if you miss some of these, I'm going to put them on the sermon notes as well. We have these things called all or nothing type thoughts. You know what I'm talking about? We say things like, well, if I can't be the best, I'm not going to do it at all. Or if I can't do everything, I can't be involved in everything, then I'm not going to be involved in nothing. See, that's all or nothing kind of thinking. Uh, there are thoughts that we do when we just overgeneralize. You ever done this? We all do this. You ever catch yourself saying words like always and never? My rule is if you ever say the words always and never, you're probably not right <laughs> because it's almost never true. See? I, you say things to yourself like, I always screw up. No, you don't. You don't always screw up. I'll never find somebody. You don't know that. 
You can't know that. So my point is, if you catch yourself saying overgeneralizing kind of phrases, you need to call that what it is. Hold that thought in front of yourself and say, no, 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 I'm overgeneralizing right now. How about this? You ever put a negative filter on everything? You've probably been around people that do this all the time. Everything that happens, they see the negative in it. They're just always po- focusing on the negative, no matter what it is. And, and most of the time, people who do this, they do another thing. They discount the good, they discount the positive. You know, something good will happen in life, and they'll just say, oh, that was just luck. That never really happens. It'll probably never happen again. You ever done that? You discount the positive, and you focus on the negative. How about this? And we talked about this already. Mind reading. How do we do this? We do this all the time. We say things like, I know she's mad at me, or I know he's offended by what I said. How do you know? Did they tell you that? Well, no, they didn't say it, but I just know it. She didn't invite me when they, her and the friends went to hang out, so she's probably did that because she's mad at me. Well, did, you, did she say that? Do you know that? No, you don't know that. So what are you doing? You're reading her mind. You're reading his mind. You're just assigning motives to people, and you don't know. How about this? Catastrophizing. You ever done this? Catastrophizing is probably not even a word, but I'm going to use it anyway. It, it, it's when you take something and you just blow it up to be the worst thing ever. It's like one bad thing goes wrong in your day, and you say, the whole day's ruined. Really? The whole day? You know, one bad thing goes, everything is all, everything's wrong. Everything? I doubt that's true. Everything is not an, a tragedy that you can't recover from. Not everything. That's catastrophizing. Or how about this? Self-labeling. You ever done this? You say things to yourself like, well, I'm just a loser. I'm not really good. I, I'm unlovable. I'm an embarrassment. You just label yourself. You call yourself things. You ever done that? See, whatever your thought is, and when you've captured it, you call it what it is. You speak truth to it. You speak truth to yourself. You say things to yourself like, you know this thought that I've got right here? I'm overgeneralizing. That's what this is. This doesn't always happen to me. Or right now, this thought that I'm holding, I'm only looking at the negative. I've discounted the positive. I'm ignoring what's good. Or I'm reading the minds of the people around me. I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know what their motives are. Or I'm predicting the future. That's what this thought is about. I can't predict the future. Or I'm labeling myself something. And the truth is, I don't get the uh, the ability to label myself. The only person who can label me is the God who made me. And you just speak truth to that thought when you capture it. And every time you do that, when you follow this step... You are aligning your thoughts with God's truth. You're starting to think the way God thinks. You're planning your mind in reality. And then once you've done that, once you've captured the thought, once you've named it and framed it, you've called it what it is, then you're ready for step three. And step three is go to your happy place. (laughs) And I knew when I said that some of you are going to chuckle because, again, that sounds so corny, and I get that, but hang on with me. Remember the verses that we just read from God's Word? He said, whatever's true or noble or right or pure or lovely or admirable or excellent or praiseworthy, if it's that, that's what you should be thinking about. That's what you should dwell your mind on. See, once you've identified that lie that you've been tempted to believe and you've refocused your mind and you've called it what it is and you've called it out as the negative thing that it is, then you get to take your mind somewhere else. Now I get to go find something that's good and lovely and true and excellent and praiseworthy, and I place my mind on that thing. I dwell on that thought. I ride that thought to where it leads instead of following this other thought down the drain. And when you do that, here's what you've done. 
you have begun to train your brain to think in a different way. You're creating a new neural pathway, a new groove for your mind to settle into whenever you have worry and anxiety, a much better place to sit in. You're basically practicing your swing. Only this time, you're not stepping out and pulling your head back. You're down on the ball. You're going towards it. You're doing everything correctly. You are practicing. You're training your mind to dwell on the positive and not go out towards the negative. And you're thinking, well, how do I do this? Well, here's a couple of things. Just take your mind to a place that brings you joy. Think about a person. Think about a memory. Think about a, a situation that brought you happiness and joy. And just spend a little time following that thought for a little bit. Everybody has a phone in their pocket these days, and on every phone are pictures. My suggestion is open your phone and scroll through some old pictures and just look at what God has done in your past, the people God has put in your life. I have an app on my phone that, where we store all of our family pictures. Everything that we take goes into this one storage app. And in the app, there's this cool feature. Every time I open it up, it brings up the pictures that I took on this date all throughout the years, and it goes back forever, even before my, back to when my kids were first born. And I get to look at all of the things that I was doing on this day. And I see things like, oh, this was the day that my daughter started crawling. Or, or this was the day that we went to that restaurant. What a great day that was. Or, or we went on a hike on this day and we hung out together. What a great day that was. Sometimes I'll even pull some of those pictures out and I'll send them. We have a group text between me and my girls and my wife. And I'll just send them to the, the family and I'll say, remember this? Look at what God's done and how great he's been in our lives. Remember this great memory? Something that brings us joy. And see, in and, and just a few moments of dwelling on thoughts like that, those good, excellent, praiseworthy thoughts will begin to put your mind and your mood in a better place. And then you'll be in a better position to do step four. And step four is, I learn from it. See, now once I've done all of those other three steps, I now can go back to this thought that I've captured, this worry, this negative, this anxious thought. And now that I've exposed the lie, I just remind myself of the truth. And I can learn. And then next time, I do better at, at identifying that thought when something similar comes back into my mind. See, the next time my thoughts bring this negative thought to my brain and it wants to carry me down the drain with it, I recognize it sooner. Once I capture it, I look at it and I go, what is this? Oh, this is the thought that I had last week. I remember you. You were here last week. And I remember what happened with you. And you're a lie. And see, now I'm quicker, I'm better at recognizing stuff that goes on in my mind that leads me down that drain. And I can say to myself, oh, that's me just predicting the future, or that's me just overgeneralizing, or this is a catastrophizing thought. I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to follow you down the drain. I'm going to replace you with something that's better, something that's right, something that's true. And I'm telling you, the more you learn how to do this, the easier it gets to do this because what you're doing is you're literally rewiring your brain you're teaching your brain new patterns of thinking you're starting to heal those places where you've dug those grooves into your thinking that you just can't seem to get out of those places that have been damaged by those anxious thoughts now let me just stress this is not going to happen for you all at once because remember what this is these are practices, and practices must be done over and over and over again for a long period of time before they take hold. Because, see, you developed a bad habit over a long period of time. It's going to take you a while to dig out of that rut. Because turning a bad habit into a good one, it doesn't happen overnight. Because, see, for some of us, circling the drain, it's become natural. In fact, for many of us, 
thinking negative, anxious thoughts have become almost a comforting place that we go. Anxiety for some, some of us becomes so natural that it feels comfortable. It feels like a companion or a friend that we just have to cling to because it's all that we know. So it's going to take a while to break out of that natural way of feeling. But I'm telling you, these four steps, if you practice them and you repeat them over and over and over again, now you may need some help from a professional. I get that. But these practices will work. They will create a new habit inside your brain that you can settle into. And I know some of you are thinking to yourself, how can you say that? How do you know that this will work? The reason I know this works is because it worked for me. I hesitated to tell you this, but less than a year ago now, I, I was in a period of my life and all I could see was negative. Uh, all I could see was just like, the only way I know to describe it is it was almost like I had these dark glasses over everything, like these sunglasses, and it just clouded or darkened up everything, and I couldn't see the light. For me, mostly what I saw when I thought about my life or I thought about myself was I just felt like a failure. I just couldn't see that anything positive was coming out of my life. And, and the crazy thing was everybody who knew me well, everybody who cared about me would come to me and they'd go, you're wrong. Look at this and look at this. This is, this is not all bad. And, and, and all I could see was bad. And I'd say, no, you're wrong. You can't see what I see. If you saw what I saw, you'd know what I know. Everything is, is headed downhill for me. I don't see any positive coming out of my life. And, and they would say, no, you're just not seeing reality. And I thought to myself, I'm the only one that's seeing reality because I'm a realist. I see what's going on. And they would tell me, and, and I, I just couldn't see it. All I saw was loss and failure and hopelessness and until a counselor helped me see basically what I just taught you. And he taught me many different practices, but this was one of them. And as I began to practice these things, I, slowly, not at all at once, but the dark glasses sort of, they lightened up a little bit. The fog sort of started lifting, and I started seeing what everybody had told me was true a little bit clearer. It was almost like there was this light bulb inside my brain that I didn't even know had gone off, but it had fizzled out, and, 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 and there was no light in there. And instead of just following the negativity all the way down the drain, I started fighting it, capturing it, and saying, what is this, and calling it what it was, and then trading that for a different thought. And over time, I started winning against it again. Not every day, not perfectly, not every time, but more and more, I just started winning. So I'm here to tell you, if you practice this, you will see a difference. Maybe not overnight, but I think you'll see it faster than you probably realize. Now next week, and I want to give you a preview of next week, I want you to come back because we're going to go even deeper into some more practices. Today, I gave you some habits or some practices that are about fighting against the anxiety or fighting against the negative thinking, and those are important. But next week, I want to talk to you about Hope's habits. These are some habits that you can build into your life to increase hope, to increase joy, and to increase the peace in our lives, that peace that passes all understanding. I'm really excited to share some of these things with you, some of these things that have really worked for me. So I hope you'll be back next week as we go into week three of this series and learn some of Hope's habits. If you will bow with me right now, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for these skills and these tools that 
you, you've taught us today, the ways for us to, to capture these anxious thoughts and to move our minds into better places towards what's true and what's right and what's noble, your truth. I pray for every person here today, including myself, that we would lean into these practices, that we would place ourselves in a better spot to, to, to fight against that negative pull that wants to pull us down towards fear and anxiety. And God, that we would follow you by your spirit toward a better place, and we would retrain ourselves on these better habits. Thank you for loving us and for supporting us in this, and I pray for all of us that that would be true this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We'll see you guys next week for week three in our series, Hope and Anxiety.